Ephesians chapter 4 in your books. We'll only be looking at one verse this evening, verse 32, a familiar verse. Apart from perhaps the husband-wife relationship, I cannot think that there is any relationship that is more dynamic as we look at the scope of all the relationships out there than that relationship between siblings. Some people consider their siblings their very best friends. Others consider their siblings to be their mortal enemies. There are many variables to the sibling relationship, and these variables are things like time, maturity, and the experiences that you have had together. And the old adage goes that blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. And the implication of that statement is that the ties of family are far stronger or far more hearty than the ties of simply friends. And as we think about the sibling relationship, the ties between siblings can oftentimes be very strong, particularly as those siblings get older. The Scriptures, however, would contradict the idea that blood is thicker than water, at least in part. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There is a manner of friend that is more faithful, more reliable, and more kind than a sibling. We would recognize that Jesus Christ is the epitome of, of this phrase, the the very pinnacle of what it is to have a friend that is closer than a brother, to have a friend that is more loyal, to have a friend that is greater. But um, there would also perhaps be this reality in the lives of those who have been redeemed by Christ. I told you this week, my wife and I found this statement in, in a manner of speaking to be very real. We had our son on Monday night, and we were very ill. I was having trouble standing, much less functioning. And family in the church comes over and, and, and helps us out tremendously. Later on in the week, Thursday night, I have a, we had a homeowners association meeting and got to tell our neighbors that we'd had the baby and uh, kind of the circumstances surrounding it just a little bit to those who inquired. And um, next day, one of my neighbors comes and mows my lawn for me. And uh, a Christian neighbor, a fellow believer. And this week, my wife and I have experienced in part the truth of Proverbs 18.24, that there are friends that stick closer than a brother. Brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another as compelled by Christ's love and so do things for one another. Things that they may not even be willing to do for their own siblings. And yet there are many under the sound of my voice who have siblings who are believers and who love the Lord and you have very good relationships with them. They are supportive. They are influential. 
and they are godly, and you can interact with them on that same level that you would interact with perhaps a brother and sister in Christ on that friend level, maybe even greater because of that sibling connection. But the sibling relationship can be a rocky road. Anyone agree with that statement? Sophia agrees with that statement. There's one honest person in the room tonight, right? The sibling relationship can be kind of a rocky road. It has its ups and downs. My uh, daughter's two and a half years old this past um, Wednesday. That was their half birthday. And uh, they are twins, of course, and they're learning um, the dynamics, the bumpy road of sibling relationships. One minute they're giggling and they're laughing and they're having a great time together. The next minute they're kicking and biting and squealing. They, someone took someone's toy. Someone did something. Someone pulled someone's hair. Someone scratched someone. Someone pinched someone. The biting thing has been pretty well taken care of by now. They're not doing that so much anymore. But there are things that these two sisters, Lathe and Karis, uh, do to one another that aren't very kind. And they're learning that both the, the blessings of having a sister as well as some of the trials that come with having a sister. And tonight's sermon is intended, at least in part, to help you make the most of these years where you are very close to your siblings. I'm speaking primarily to those of you who are young. Now, of course, those of you who are older may have siblings as well. And, and this, this, um, the preaching tonight is, is just as much for you as well as the, uh, the application as we apply it to siblings. However, as I speak, I speak of those of you who are living in a forced arrangement where you are interacting with your siblings on a daily basis. You can't just say, okay, I'm out of here. I'm moving out. My, I, my siblings are bothering me. You are at home. You are fed. You are clothed. You legally cannot live on your own. You, you are going to be around your siblings. You're going to have to deal with it. But you don't just have to deal with it. It can be a beautiful wonderful, enjoyable time, and I hope to help you with that this evening. But let me warn you, if you are going to have the best sibling relationships possible, it will take three things. You ready for these? Number one, humility. Number two, patience. Number three, maturity. Humility, patience, maturity. That's what it's going to take. And the sooner you are willing to be a humble, patient, mature sibling, the sooner you will find yourselves having a tremendous relationship with them. My sister and I had some rocky years growing up, but we found ourselves to be very good friends as we got into late high school and then into college. Why is it that things changed so much and got so much better as we got older? And, and you talk to many siblings and this is the way it is. They have really rough early years and then it gets so much better as they get older. They become friends. Well, why is that? Well, because we matured. We grew up a little bit. And we started thinking of someone other than ourselves. So you're 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old. 16 years old. Some of you are maturing at various rates. But the faster you are willing to be a humble, patient, mature sibling, the faster you and your siblings will find great joy one with another. And 
perhaps you're sitting there thinking, well, pastor, that's any relationship. That's right. It is any relationship. The faster you're willing to be a humble, patient, mature person in any relationship, the faster you're going to enjoy that relationship. And you'll find this evening that the sibling relationship is really nothing more than a relationship uh, that needs to be fostered on the same foundations that any relationship needs to be fostered on. So let's get started. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Siblings, that's it. Let's talk through it together. And be ye kind one to another, it says. As we begin our lesson, let me be careful to point out that Ephesians chapter 4 is not speaking specifically to siblings. This isn't a passage where Paul speaks to children and he speaks to parents and he speaks to servants and he speaks to masters. This isn't a passage where he began by saying, And ye siblings, be ye kind one to another. But he really doesn't have to. There really is no place in Scripture that speaks directly to the dynamics of the sibling relationship. But it is a relationship. And Ephesians 4 governs relationships. So this absolutely applies to you. And we will apply it particularly to you at the end of the message tonight. So the first phrase says, Be ye kind. It's a unique Greek word here that you see used only seven times in the entire New Testament. Christos. Easy. Good, kind. Let me show you a couple places where this word, Christos, is used. It's used in Matthew 11, verse 30, where Jesus Christ is speaking to His disciples and He tells them to take His yoke upon Him. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy there is this word. It's a word that implies something that is not difficult, something that is not hard. It's a light burden. It's an easy yoke. It's one that is kind. It's one that is easy. It's the same word that Paul uses as he says, be ye kind one to another. Be easy on each other. Can I paraphrase? Be easy on each other. Be an easy person to get along with. Be an easy person to work with. Be an easy person, siblings, to live with. Be ye kind one to another. Another place where this word is used, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Used in Romans 2, 4 to describe that element of God's character that leads a man to repentance. So goodness, this same word found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, is translated here, goodness, and speaks of that which we see in the character of God that would draw us unto a desire to change our minds about our actions, to draw us unto repentance. So, be ye kind one to another. Be, ye, be easy on one another. Be ye full of goodness one to another. It's the same word. Similar idea. That your interaction with your siblings would have an element of goodness 
to it. A goodness that would inspire a response in the recipient. It's also found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Peter speaks in this verse and he says, If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Gracious. And so, we have this command. Be ye kind one to another. If I may express it this way, the command to be kind to one another is not simple, nor is it to be taken lightly. What Paul is exhorting us to do here in Ephesians is to manifest in our actions with one another a graciousness and a kindness and a ease that shares the same roots with the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. That shares the same roots with Jesus Christ's goodness and our love for us. We see that all of those verses spoke of attributes of Jesus Christ toward us. And it's this word that was used speaking of graciousness, speaking of goodness, speaking of ease. And as we understand, as we continue through this verse, we are supposed to exemplify that which Christ was in our actions with one another. When my wife and I lived in Florida, we had these bushes in front of our house. They were about a quarter of the way to the... It was a very long front yard. It was probably a front yard um, from back where these curtains are, maybe even to the very... It may have been as long as this church, but at least certainly from where these curtains are to the doors. It was a very long... It had to have been longer than that. Um, probably, Probably the full length of this church. Very long yard. And about a quarter way through, there were these bushes. And as we looked at these bushes, we decided we wanted to move some of these bushes to the front of our yard. We wanted a visual block. We wanted an audio block. We knew we weren't going to be there long enough to really take advantage of it. But we thought, what a blessing this would be for people in the future if we plant these bushes at the front so that trash isn't blowing into the yard, so that it was a very busy road in front, so that that road, there's there's some sound being blocked from that road and, and, and some of the visual, uh, just having to see cars drive by all day, some of that would be blocked and you'd see bushes. And so we looked at these bushes and we saw what we thought were probably maybe eight or ten bushes there. And we figured we'd move, let's say, probably about five of them and just move them down to the front. So we started digging. And as we dug around the first bush, what we found is that though each one of these bushes was certainly an individual bush stem, they all shared one root system. And so we were having to hack through roots and all of this stuff, and it was really messy, but they all shared one root system. They were individual bushes, clearly delineated and separated above, but underneath, they were all one big, nasty all the roots. In a manner of speaking, your kindness, your tenderheartedness, and your forgiveness is intended to do that in this life. It's the same root system that Jesus Christ was compelled by. Obedience to the Father. Submission to the will of the Father. A desire to do the Father's will completely. Righteousness. We share a common compulsion through Christ, with Christ, 
Now certainly, that doesn't mean that as our, our righteousness blossoms, it's going to blossom into uh, martyrdom on the cross, or miracles, or uh, healing lepers. Of course, that's things Jesus did through His compassion, through His forgiveness, through His kindness, through His goodness. So the tops aren't necessarily the same. They're different bushes. But the foundation is the same. The compulsion is the same. A love and a desire to do the will of God. Your kindness won't manifest the same way that Christ did necessarily. But if someone were to dig down to the roots of how you interact with your brothers and your sisters, what they should find is the same Holy Spirit directing the same submission and love for God that Jesus Christ displayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the road to Calvary and even as He hung upon the tree, scorned and bruised and broken. So you're to be kind one to another, siblings. What's next? And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Word literally meaning compassionate, sympathetic, even pitiful. Have you ever considered how difficult compassion is for us? How difficult it is for us to be compassionate? And have you ever noticed that it can be harder sometimes with those that we're closest to? I don't know how many in this room are connected to pop culture, but there's a word out there that perfectly illustrates the human desire against compassion and to rejoice in others' weaknesses. And it's the word fail. F-A-I-L. Fail. I don't know if you've ever seen it online or if you've heard somebody who's used the word. It was a big thing for a while when I was uh, working at the college to hear students say this. Someone would do something wrong and the student would say, oh, fail, fail. Or they'd trip on the carpet or they'd knock a cup over and they'd go, fail. And it always bothered me. It bothered me because it seems as though by using that word, what are we doing other than highlighting another person's weakness? Highlighting something that another person did wrong. Highlighting something, magnifying it. You just did something wrong and instead of me just pretending like it didn't happen or sympathizing with you because something negative just happened, I am going to highlight that it happened and even mock you a little bit because it happened. Now, I'm not saying that every time that word is used, it's in that fashion, so uh, please don't get me wrong. But I've seen some pretty... Uh, there's a spirit of maliciousness to it. Let me just put it that way. There's a little bit of a spirit of maliciousness to that phrase, in my opinion at least. And I think the people that we can be most malicious with, oftentimes in this life, are our siblings. We see them do something wrong and we know their weaknesses. We know the things they struggle with. You know what your brothers and sisters struggle with. You know the, the subjects in school that they're not as good at. You know uh, their physical capabilities, how good they are at a certain sport or how bad they are at a certain sport or how, how capable they are musically or not. You you have an inside track because you live with them on all of the vulnerable spots of your siblings. 
And the question then arises, what are you going to do with that knowledge? What are you going to do with all of those things you know that your siblings struggle with? How are you going to take those, how are you going to respond to those? Are you going to respond by maliciously highlighting their struggles and failures? Or are you going to respond by supporting, compassionately, sympathetically, pitifully, helping them through, making them better, and then minimizing them when they do happen, when the difficulties and the struggles and the failures do happen. This is a hard thing for siblings. I was terrible at this growing up. I loved to emphasize my siblings' failures. I loved it. And why is it? Now, this doesn't just happen with siblings, so why is it that we do this? Why is it that we like to highlight other people's failures? Why is it that we like to draw attention to them, whether it's siblings or not? Well, it makes us feel better about us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I may be a bad preacher, but as long as I can go on to a sermon website and find somebody worse than me, I feel good about myself. Right? So I go online and I start criticizing everyone else's sermons so I can feel good about how I preach. I may be bad at math, but as long as I can find somebody more clueless at math than I am, I can feel good about myself. And so, so so-and-so is worse at math than me, so I go over there and I start doing math with them to make me feel good about me. I may not have the best singing voice, but as long as I can stand next to someone more tone deaf than I am, I can feel pretty good about myself. Sing out. They're going to be worse than I am anyway. People will hear them, not me. And so in our flesh, our compassion is overridden by our selfish need to validate ourselves, to make ourselves feel good about us, to make me feel like I'm better than them. I can do something better than them. I'm greater than them. But you know, it gets much worse than this. Someone has a tragedy and rather than relate to them, weep with them, our flesh wants to be happy that it happened to them and not me. And so our fleshly lack of compassion manifests itself in many heartless ways. And I think as siblings, you can become very comfortable tearing one another down. There's nowhere in Scripture where tearing one another down is said to be acceptable behavior. If I could go back and take back so many of the things I said to my siblings, particularly my older sister, as we were growing up, I'd do it in a heartbeat. So many hurtful things I said to her simply to make myself feel better or simply because she's my sister and that's what brothers do. Got to get my brother quota, I'll tease her about this, I'll rag her about that. Now, at the end of the day, of course, my sister and I, were, were, we loved each other. But I had a weird way of showing it. And it certainly wasn't biblical. And it certainly wasn't right. It certainly shouldn't have happened. The word in the Greek here that we see is found only one other place in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be, here it is, pitiful, be 
courteous. This is a command that we should not overlook. Now, we could, we could apply everything I'm saying tonight to any relationship, not just siblings. But I'm focused on you all tonight. This is your night. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, compassionate, pitiful. Particularly as we get into our what the society would call our teenage years. I prefer to call them young adulthood. This will become very important. I've preached several times over this family series about how women, the the young ladies, need to make sure that they are not caught up in their physical image. You need to make sure that you do not see your worth in your physical looks and, and such. That's not where your worth lies, ladies. But... Brothers, you can do more to discourage your sister in those years where she is fighting with her identity than anyone else. Brothers, it is not a light thing for you to go around calling your teenage sister ugly or gawky or awkward or any of those things. That's not, light, that's not a light thing. Because she's a young lady that's already trying to find her place and trying to recognize the reality that her character ought to be elevated above any other quality of her own. And to be teased and mocked about her appearance or her capabilities is not going to do her any good in becoming the godly young woman that she needs to be. Ironically, guys tend not to have a problem with the pride issue in their, in their uh, side of things. Usually, usually, ladies, that doesn't give you a free, uh, free pass to tear them down a few notches. But, you know, guys typically think a pretty good deal of themselves regardless of, um, regardless of what people are saying. But men have their own struggles. But young, young men, may I encourage you, it's not a place that you should go with your sisters. So be kind one to another, tender-hearted. Next phrase, forgiving one another. And we'll just finish off here. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here we see the word forgiving. Greek word, charizomai, means to pardon or to rescue or to forgive. That's how it's translated here. The root of that word should be somewhat familiar for anyone that knows my daughter. The root of the word charizomai, forgive, is the word charis, meaning grace. So the root of the, the concept of forgiveness in the Greek is actually the concept of Grace or graciousness. This really shouldn't surprise us. Grace and forgiveness are two concepts that really do go hand in hand. We talked about sharing the roots of kindness, right? There's different bushes, but they all share one root. We're sharing this root of kindness with Christ. And we made mention of the, this link because of the other places where that Greek word is used. And we see it used regularly as a characteristic for Christ. Perhaps... Some may think that link to be a bit, a bit of a grasp, a bit of a reach. But upon this link, any Bible student can agree. 
we are expected to forgive others in the, in the same way that Christ forgave us. Excuse me, that God forgave us for Christ's sake. Let's be specific here. We are intended or expected to be forgiving to others in the same way God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You want to talk about setting the bar high. It doesn't get much higher than Jesus Christ. Well, that begs the question, how is it that Christ has forgiven us? If we're supposed to forgive one another, if you are supposed to forgive your sister, if you're supposed to forgive your brother, in the same way Christ has forgiven you, well then how has Christ forgiven you? Romans chapter 5, verses 7-10 through 10. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much has God forgiven us? God has forgiven us enough that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. Romans I've got the same uh, reference for the next verses, but it's certainly not the same reference. Not sure what the reference to these is. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I'm not sure what the reference is, but the Bible's clear. Through Christ, we have been reconciled unto God. We have gone from being one upon whom God has placed His wrath and we are an enemy of God through our wicked works and we have been translated into a son. We have been translated into a friend. We have been translated into a relationship that is exceedingly close. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We lived in darkness. We were chained to our sins. We lived in the lust of our flesh. We were driven by the same antichrist sentiment that slew the prophets, that grips the world, and that sent the Son of God to death on the cross. That's what God forgave us from. And sibling, you are to forgive even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Every sin was placed upon Christ in order that God might forgive every offense of every man so that every man who believes on the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. And that is the forgiveness that should consume, that should cover, that should characterize every interaction that you have with your brother or sister. It is. It is a forgiveness that mirrors the forgiveness of God. But it also is a forgiveness that's rooted in the forgiveness of God. When you forgive someone as God has forgiven you, we recognize what this means is that our forgiveness toward one another should be complete. God has forgiven us completely, therefore we should forgive others completely. We forgive them as they have forgiven or as God has forgiven us. 
But we also see that what this means is that our forgiveness is compelled by the forgiveness of God. We forgive in the same way God forgave us, but we forgive them because God forgave us. And I've mentioned this several times before, but every time I mention it, if no, if, if no one else needs it, I need it. So let me just say it again. God has forgiven you for offending His perfect nature. God has forgiven you for your sin, for your filth, for your hatred. And how dare you? How dare I? Knowing all that we have been forgiven of, refuse to forgive another. What offense could we possibly have incurred against us that would be greater than the offense that God had against us? What could somebody possibly have done worse to us than what we have done against God? And yet God went out of His way to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross specifically so that He could forgive us. And yet we won't forgive our brother or sister when they've done us wrong. We'll hold it against them. We'll hold it over their heads. We'll bring it up months later and say, well, remember when you did this to me? Aren't you glad God's never done that to you? Aren't you glad you've never gotten on your knees, come to the throne of grace, and said, God, it's the 200th time I've done this sin. Forgive me. And God says, wait a minute. Why should I forgive you? Look what you've done. What have you done for me recently? Aren't you glad He's never done that? Aren't you glad that every time you've come to the throne and you've confessed and forsaken your sins, you've found grace and mercy? That He has been faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and yet your sister did that to you and you just plain refused to forgive her. And maybe you've even forgotten about it. She did it, you were angry and you just never reconciled and you know what, okay, whatever, it's gone, it's done now. But it's still lingering up there somewhere. You've never forgiven it. You've never actually let it go. You've never actually put it behind you. It's at best silly. It's at worst a spurn upon the forgiveness of God. Has anyone offended us to the degree that we have offended God's holiness? Suffice it to say, if God has forgiven us a great debt, we should forgive others. So that's our verse tonight. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's apply three very simple applications this evening. Siblings, be kind. Siblings, be tender-hearted, compassionate. Siblings, be forgiving. Let's talk about the first one. Siblings, be kind one to another. I've told you this already. Growing up, my sisters and I tended to express our love, you might say, through somewhat malicious teasing. That teasing got out of hand often. 
We knew it was all in good fun as we made fun of one another, but there were still aspects of this interaction that pricked us, that hurt us, that were difficult for us. They say all comedy has an element of truth, so when we made fun of each other's voices or looks or talents or abilities or brains, it left the door open for pain and for disappointment. We didn't build one another up. We didn't affirm one another in our qualities nearly as much as we tore each other down. Think back, siblings, on this last week. How many times did you tear your brother or sister down? How many times did you seek your best at their expense? Make a rough estimate. Now, let's do another estimate. How many times have you purposefully gone out of your way to build them up? Purposefully gone out of your way to help them in their life. Help them be a better Christian. Help them be a better child. Help them be a better sibling. Help them be a better student. Help them be a better athlete. Help them be a better fill-in-the-blank ballpark. Which one outweighs the other? Unfortunately, as I look at my childhood, it's not even a question that my malicious tearing down far outweighs the amount that I built up. God forbid it should be that way in your life. God forbid you would just have turned 29 years old and look back upon your childhood and say, you know what, there were some good times. We had, and my, my, my siblings and I, we have great relationships today, but man, I wish I hadn't said all those things. Man, I wish I hadn't done all those things to my sister. So this kindness is manifest in grace. But it's propelled by selflessness. Told you you have to be ready to be humble, patient, and mature. To be kind is to elevate the spiritual and emotional needs of your brother or your sister ahead of your own. To be kind is not to say that word that you want to say because it might hurt them. To be kind is to take it upon yourself to do that chore that, you know what, they just forgot to do before mom and dad get them in trouble. To be kind is to exhibit the very deepest essence of how Christ treats you toward your siblings. How has Christ treated you? How has God treated you? Treat your brother that way. Treat your sisters that way. How wonderful would the relationship between brother and sister or brother and brother or sister and sister be if you were going to be kind, tender-hearted and forgiving to one another? How much more joyous would your day be if you were all looking out for each other's best interests instead of just your own best interests? How much more fun would those chores be if you weren't competing for who could do less work and you started helping one another? Kindness is not always what you'll want to be toward one another. 
But on the authority of God's word, it is what you always ought to be, one toward another. Siblings, be kind. Second, siblings, be tender-hearted. I've told you already, some ways in which you as siblings need to be tender-hearted. This is in, in some ways easier than being kind one to another. Uh, there comes a point where siblings just come together. There's a hard time. If, if there's a tragedy, of course, you're going to come together. You're going to support one another. I've known many a Christian whose siblings, however, were terrible people. But their tender-heartedness toward their brother or sister was so deep because they're siblings. Allow this to be the case. Again, I told you young men, be tender-hearted in your interactions with your sisters, particularly as they get into their, what we call their teen years. Be aware of your siblings' spiritual needs and their spiritual weaknesses. Be aware of their physical needs and their physical weaknesses. Instead of thinking about how you can get under your brother's skin today or get under your sister's skin today, instead of spending all of that time thinking of some quip or comeback or something malicious or something uh, annoying to say, instead of wondering how is it I'm going to push the big red blinking button today and get my sibling to react, maybe you should open your Bible and say, what verse can I share with my sibling this morning? That would be an encouragement to them for the day. How can I pray for my brother or sister today? And then go up to them and say, Hey, I prayed for you today in this specific way. Let's watch God work. What if you could have a relationship with your siblings where you are literally just constantly building one another up through compassion and kindness. Literally every day you felt stronger in your bond one with another. Every day you felt stronger in your spiritual uh, life because you had a partner that was working with you and not against you. Because you had people that were helping to build you up that were not just people from the church that you see one day a week, but people that you said goodnight to and then you simply went one room away. What if your prayer buddy could be your sibling? What if your study buddy in the faith could be someone so close that you live together practically all day every day? We grow up and we look for those. Someone that you can spend time growing in the Lord with, that can keep you accountable, that you can be best friends with. Well, may I encourage you that maybe, just maybe, that person is living under the same roof. But it's going to take some kindness, some tender-heartedness. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Third and finally, be forgiving. You know, forgiveness is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Unforgiveness is one of the most divisive and destructive relationship elements in the world. You want to destroy a relationship? Refuse to forgive. If you want to forge strong, sustained, 
biblical relationships with your siblings, you need to be determined in your hearts to deal with them in a forgiving manner. What does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness means once an offense is forgiven, it's gone forever. You don't bring it up again. You don't hold it over their heads. You don't use it to make them feel guilty at a later point. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath God removed our sins from us. That's forgiveness of God. So when something is forgiven, sibling, that means you have removed it so far that it will never touch you again. It is out. It's gone. It never comes up again. Forgiveness means you release your siblings from offenses even if they've not asked for your forgiveness. You release them. You say, I forgive them. Forgiveness means you live the grace of God in your interaction with your sibling. You know, not every child has siblings. Someone under the sound of my voice this evening on the internet might be an only child. And those only children are saved from some of the troubles in their growing up years of having to interact with a sibling. But they also miss out on some of the real blessings of siblings. But you know, most people do have siblings and it is to those of you that do that I speak this evening. May I encourage you to allow your interaction with your brothers and sisters to live out the very character of what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 asks us to do in Christian relationships. Don't just read Ephesians 4, 32 and say, okay, I need to do that with the people at church and I need to do that with the people in the store and I need to do that with the people uh, at fill in the blank. What about I need to do that with the people at home? We have a tendency to live out our worst among our siblings. By virtue of the sheer amount of interaction that we have with one another, they see you when you're tired, they see you when you're angry, they see you when you're frustrated, they see you when you're sick, they see you when you're bored. But if your interaction with your siblings can exhibit the very deepest elements of godly kindness and godly tenderheartedness and godly forgiveness, not only will you establish a tremendous lifelong friendship with your siblings, but you will equip yourselves to live this out among the rest of the world as if it's second nature. If you can do it among your brother or sister or brothers and sisters, you can do it anywhere. So siblings, how are you doing? How's your relationship with your brothers, sisters? Are you exhibiting godly interaction as siblings? Can you do better at being in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 brother and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 sister? Adult siblings. Is there deep unforgiveness or unkindness or lack of tenderheartedness between you and your brothers or sisters that are um, who, wherever they may be? Is there great division among you and it's in part, at least, because of something on your side. May I encourage you to repent tonight and then get it taken care of? Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to make a visit so that you can shore up your duty as an Ephesians 4.32 sibling. And one more group I want to speak to this evening. Parents. 
you've been equipped this evening with the tools necessary to help your children be good siblings. You've been equipped this evening to remind your children of God's expectations for them as it relates to relationships. That God expects your children to interact with one another in a kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving way. There's no exemption clause in Ephesians 4.32 for siblings. And parents, as you train up your children in the way they should go, one of the ways that you can train them up is to remind them of Ephesians 4.32 when they're bickering, when they're arguing, when they're manifesting unforgiveness, when they're being malicious. We can remind them that it is their duty before God to be kind one to another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray.